This is the second part of a two-part podcast featuring JC Mercado, who's an activist with the People's Coalition on Food Sovereignty, or PCFS. It's a growing network of small farmers, workers, and peasants who are involved in food production, as well as their support NGOs, and it is a transnational movement. And JC is also a collaborator with the Kilusang Magbubukid in Pilipinas, that is the peasant movement of the Philippines. In the last episode, we discussed the agrarian structure of the Philippines, especially its highly unequal land ownership, and how that feeds into domination by multinational corporations and large corporations, both in terms of mining for natural resources, as well as agribusiness. We also talked about how low international prices often left small farmers without adequate livelihoods. In this episode, we talk about the Filipino movement, as well as the goal of food sovereignty. What is the history of peasant movements in the Philippines? What are the aims and objectives of the Kilusang Magpukiling Pilipinas, or KMP? What does KMP's organizing look like on the ground? And how is the PCFS distinct from KMP? How does the PCFS approach questions of agroecology and degrowth? And how do rural insurgencies impact the work that these organizations do? Welcome to Introduction to Political Economy, where we discuss the relationship between power and production, politics and economics, and a bunch of other stuff. I am your host, Numan Ali, Assistant Professor of Political Economy at the Lahore University of Management Sciences in Pakistan. To talk about peasant organizing and the goals of food sovereignty, let's hear from JC Mercado. I do want to note that this interview was recorded about a year back in May 2020, and sometimes the audio quality is not the best. So you've given this really excellent overview, a really very detailed overview of the rural political economy uh, in, in the Philippines. Uh, and now I'm curious to ask more about what has peasant organization looked like? What does farmers organization look like? How do rural lower classes organize themselves uh, to engage in survival and in politics? Okay. So the farmers in the Philippines I'm quoting KMP on this, is the uh, main driver of history in the country. So many of the revolts against our colonizers were led and organized by farmers, uh, especially the um, KKK, not to be confused with the, you know, the white supremacist in somewhere else, the it's a movement against Spanish colonizers, um, which is mainly uh, composed of farmers and uh, proletarianizing um, urban workers uh, in the Philippines. And also the farmers are, um, are also um, instrumental and pivotal in organizing against the entry of uh, the U.S. in the Philippines. Uh, There are numerous notable uh, peasant heroes in the country uh, against American colonization after Spanish colonization. And then uh, with the establishment of the first um, Philippine Communist uh, Communist Party of the Philippines, in the 1930s and Philippine Socialist Party also in the same period. Uh, The farmers uh, 
are the main force of uh, of this huge political organizations. Uh, even under the Japanese occupation, the farmers organized themselves uh, against a Japanese colonizer, even um, establishing their own army called the People's Army Against Japanese. Uh, and then the huge swell of um, farmers' movement in the 1950s uh, after our nominal, quote-unquote, independence from the United States. Um, and then, in fact, you will see this in the fact that there had been 13 land reform program in the Philippines because... Uh, the government established, even the colonial governments, the Commonwealth government, and even the um, what we call puppet regimes, are um, see land reform as an instrument of pacification of the large and strong um, peasant movement that has persisted throughout the Philippine history. Uh, but of course, uh, they're uh, generally bogus land reforms just to, you know, quell the anger of the landless farmers from time to time and, you know, uh, give them uh, a taste of um, quote-unquote reforms, even if these are very limited, even if these are very specifically targeted, and even if these are, you know, uh, very deceitful. So farmers organizing themselves in the Philippines is nothing new. So, and uh, there has never been a point in time where uh, a strong farmers organization from the range of militants and uh, of militant organizations like KMP to the range of you know, mutual aid, um, uh, mutual aid help groups for you know tilling the lands uh, is part of the um, fabric really of the history of the Philippines. So you know uh, the Philippine history in one in one way or another is, uh, in a way, a history of the huge peasant movements and the national democratic aspirations of the uh, people uh, for land, freedom, and democracy. Uh, so can you explain uh, what you mean when you say national democratic? And how does that, uh, as you said, there's nothing new about peasant organization or peasant movements in the Philippines. Is KMP um, a part or what, what uh, or maybe it's not a part, but it's part of this movement, this long history. But what is unique about KMP and what does it have to do with this uh, term national democracy or national democratic movement? Right. So the national democratic movement is uh, really... Uh, the um, strategy and uh, um, the content of the of the movement in the Philippines and KMP is one of the main um, organizations that has really been pushing it. 
So when we say national democracy, it means we want to remove any and all vestiges of colonization, uh, especially of U.S. imperialism in the Philippines, including in agriculture. So we, uh, and then when we say democratic, we mean the participation of the widest strata of uh, the Filipino people in um, pushing this change and also achieving the democratic aspirations of the majority of the Filipino people, which are farmers and workers, uh, which is land for the farmers. You know? And uh, KMP has been uh, crucial in pushing forward this national democratic movement because, you know, as an ag- agricultural country, as, a, as an agrarian country, which I said earlier that uh, the rural poverty is rooted in, you know, landlessness. KMP is at the heart of that movement to really strike at the um, at the root cause of poverty. So, quoting from the founding Congress, for example, of KMP in 1985, it says the key objective of the peasant movement is to achieve land reform, essentially to break up the la- the feudal land ownership and redistribution of land to landless dealers. So, uh, KMP uh, was founded at the time of great political upheaval and broad mass movement against the tyranny of Marcos and abuses, and also uh, against the backdrop of that huge social crisis. So hundreds of peasant leaders uh, from the whole country gathered uh, in July 24, 1985. So after 30 years, uh, uh, 35 years, KMP uh, is, uh, remained the widest, the largest, the most militant national democratic mass organization of peasants in the Philippines. So national democratic movement doesn't just involve the peasants, uh, but uh, the peasant movement is the largest part and the main force of uh, the national democratic uh, movement in the Philippines. So, you know, KMP has been at the forefront of the Philippine peasant struggle for genuine agrarian reform because it upholds the national inter- uh, democratic interest of the rural poor in the countryside. It fights against oppressive local landlords. Uh, and also it links these fights not only to this localized, localized fights, but also to the um, big bourgeoisie, which are... Uh, the part of the ruling class which um, facilitate this import-export uh, import-dependent export-oriented macroeconomic model and exploitative feudal and semi-feudal conditions. So now the KMP has 15 regional and 65 provincial chapters throughout the country. So uh, it needs uh, peasants, farm workers, and rural people in defending their life and lands. Uh, so what that means is uh, KMP, under its banner, the farmers lead uh, local mass struggles against land grabbing by local and foreign landlords 
agro-controlations, plantations, against the massive ejectment and displacement from their farmlands, as well as, of course, of human rights violations that stem from these agrarian disputes. So KMP uh, organizes in the countryside by arousing, organizing, and mobilizing the peasant farmers, uh, the peasant masses, so they can unleash their strength as the major force of the country and collectively left their, on their own social and living conditions and free their class from social bondage and exploitation. So these are really, Kempi really has put itself a huge task uh, to accomplish. And with that huge task uh, uh, comes with the need for a huge organization. So depending on the varying strengths and capacities, uh, the chapters and local affiliates nationwide launch actions, uh, including collective farming um, and other campaigns to recover, occupy and position on agricultural lands being grabbed by local and foreign landlords, uh, and also those being aided by government and state forces. So we... Uh, the KMP is, has tirelessly exposed the bogus land reform uh, programs and schemes that continue to deprive farmers of the right to own the lands and fight against graft and corruption in the bureaucracy that squandered billions of public fan, funds intended for farmers and the local agricultural sector. So it also has developed uh, strong international ties course, with PCFS and other uh, international organizations, and also solidarity with compatriots in the international community. Uh, it's uh, one of the founding members of the International League of People Struggles, one of the founding members of uh, La Via Campesina, uh, one of the founding members of PCFS, and Asian Peasant Coalition. So, uh, not only does KMP serve the interests of the Filipino peasant, it also uh, serves to share and exchange experiences from other peasant movements uh, on the international level. Uh, you, you said that you were part of KMP for a while and that you were involved in activities in the north um, around rice production and, and mining and quarrying. So some of what you've described in general about the KMP, can you uh, show us what that looks like on the ground based on, on maybe some of your own experience? Right. So on the ground, KMP operates in regional chapters, uh, provincial chapters, uh, municipal chapters, and then up to the village level uh, organizations. So... Underground, what we do is we, uh, the peasant organizations, uh, organize themselves around this, uh, around different issues, uh, especially on land disputes, etc. So, for example, in our experience, um, some of our villages face the problem of, um, uh, uh, high price, uh, high price of irrigation. So we design uh, campaigns around the high price of irrigation. So we organize all the, the farmers, uh, 
that are um, paying up for their irrigation mm-hmm. because their irrigation there is owned by the government, the NIA. But uh, there were also abuses in um, how they take the payment from the farmers. For example, they would take um, rice if the rice price is high and then they would take money when the price is low. So basically, uh, it's uh, rubbing the people uh, their choice uh, if they want to pay in kind or in cash. So some of our villages started really on that level of issue. And then we launched this massive investigation and then massive, um, uh, after our investigation, we launched massive campaigns uh, on education together with the farmers. And then they would uh, sit down and talk about these issues. And then they would organize themselves into KMP chapters to um, basically to put out petitions. And then if that doesn't work, protest. Uh, and if that doesn't work, uh, they would uh, do some other creative actions like uh for example, uh, they refuse to um, they refuse to pay up for a while if the National Irrigation Association doesn't heed to their demands because they were united. Uh, the NIA was forced to basically um, basically uh, heed to the farmers' demand, and that kind of um, collective action and collective strength, build the, uh, building of collective strength is really at the heart of KMP's uh, organizing paradigm. Because, um, of course, uh, there are some villages where we organize like landless farmers into like small cooperatives to help them um, find uh, small lands that they can uh, plant their uh uh, plant for food, but most of the strong uh, strongholds of KMP start from these uh, villages with these uh, issues, and then they the farmers organize themselves, and the farmers um, creatively find ways to solve their problems through their collective strength, and this really gives them the confidence in, you know building on the other programs of KMP. So, for example, that village, uh, together with the other villages, also had this bigger problem, which is um, the high price of um, uh, uh, interest, uh, usurious lending. So, uh, from 20% um, of interest, so, for example, when you... Um, borrow $100 that would entail, you know, $20 more in payment after a month and then $20 more in a month. So basically, after one cropping, you'd be doubling the money of the lender. So that's a huge problem that covers a huge area. So this area where we had, like, a stronger uh, farmer organization, 
they were the ones who organized the farmers in other villages regarding this issue. So they they started again from the start, so from collective discussions with farmers in different villages. So how does this usurious um, lenders been uh, hitting you? So then we had uh, after a month or so, we had this huge uh, data and case studies. Uh, to back up the claims of the farmers that they that um, most of their um, uh, most of their profits are really going to this usurious lending schemes. So then these villages started organizing the other villages who are also affected by these schemes, and then after uh, uh, after a while we have. Uh, we have um, the area that we are covering has covered the entire municipality and then we launched this huge rally against usurious lending and then uh, after a while nothing happened Uh, and then the military started to come in because one of the biggest lender is a mayor of of the municipality the mayor so the police started coming in and then looking for, oh, the organizers are instigating this and that, and that, and this and that. Uh, so uh, while they were doing that, they were really starting this small cooperative uh, to kind of lend each other money and, of course, to lend each other labor so that if you if you work for me today, then I would work for you tomorrow, like mutual aid teams like that. So people won't borrow that much money because, you know, it's kind of like a barter system of uh, labor. So uh, we have substantially decreased the number, uh, the amount that people are borrowing from these lenders, and they really felt that. So then we... the. Uh, they reached out to the leaders of the organization. They had these negotiations, etc. And we staged this huge rally again outside the negotiation so that we can pressure them. So in the, uh, in the next seven years, they were doing that every cropping. And they were organizing more and more and more um, uh beneficiaries or more and more farmers who are being duped by these lenders because what they did was, okay, so we will only lessen the interest charges for your organization. So everyone everyone in the different villages now wants to be a part of the KMP. So that really helped the organizing. So they really thought they did something there, but they didn't. They just... uh, um, but of course, uh, in the middle of all this uh, militarization uh, has sprung up, and then there were, I think, three detachments of uh, military has been set up in these villages, really, really small villages that you would think they wouldn't need military detachments there. But they did anyway. Um, so in, in the span of seven years, that 20% went down to 2%. A month, and then of interest wow. rates. So yeah, so and then we uh, 
the farmers really cut down on all the other um, uh, duplicitous and deceitful schemes. Like, you know, when you sell your rice there, they would poke it so that rice would come out and that won't be hunted for. So basically in one bag of rice, uh, one bag of, you know, uh, dry, dry palay or rice, um, they would get like one kilo for free. So we have banned that. Uh, we have also banned uh, other uh, usurious schemes. And then Kempi has been renowned in that province as really a champion of farmers for uh, that is led by farmers. And that has put a huge target on the back of our leaders. So in 2007, 2008, you uh, many of our um, first leaders that have started in those villages uh, have been killed by the military uh, because uh, the cooperatives were becoming really huge, and they have, as I have said earlier, they have established their own treasure. They have this corn husker, and they have tractors that have. They have bought on their own. They have carabaos that they were giving away to landless farmers for free. And then there were lands that were set aside for farmers already who don't have land. So that really threatened the, you know, the large, because the huge bargaining power of KMP and the cooperatives had really threatened the, um, uh, you know, traders and the landlords. Uh, land rent has also gone down from half of your produce going to the landlords to almost 20% of the produce going to the landlords. So the, uh, the huge, uh, this really big victories also came with huge sacrifices because, you know, our mass leaders can't um, go home anymore. Some of them were dead. So, some of them, so I virtually grew up there already because I was really young when I came there. So it's really heartbreaking to see some of this. Really, they're really my friends. They're really my family uh, die. But, you know, uh, the work still goes on. So that's how KMP works uh, and organizes. So basically, it's not it's not um, you know uh, starting cooperatives in villages. You know, the KMP really has this uh, um, straightforward and a straightforward and really clear vision of what it wants for farmers. And it leads, uh, it really leads the farmers towards that goal of uh, progressively decreasing land rent, progressively decreasing um, interest rates, and uh, progressively uh, in, uh, demanding the government for more appropriate and for more uh, subsidies that are targeted to, you know, domestic food production and not this um, 
high yielding varieties or high uh, high value crops for exports. So wherever there is feudal and semi-feudal exploitation in the Philippines, you know, KMP just pops up anywhere uh, because you know it created this model of organizing that really um, um, captures the collective strength, collective fervor, and you know, step by step building of um, uh, uh, class consciousness in the farmers in the Philippines. What you just described is really amazing and also very inspiring. Um, especially as you mentioned, given the danger that uh, people face. Um, I, I want to maybe shift this conversation a little bit. So you're talking about these very direct, straightforward struggles over land, over production, over interest and usury. Um, and going from this to broader dimensions. So KMP uh, has been very important in founding uh, as you said, it's a founding member of La Via Campesina, which is a transnational peasant movement, which argues about food sovereignty, um, and also uh, PCFS, or the People's Coalition for Food Sovereignty, with whom you're associated right now. So what exactly is food sovereignty, uh, and what, how, does, how does La Via Campesina or, or PCFS um, identify what that would look like in the Philippines? And how does this uh, correspond to the goals that you were talking about in terms of national independence um, or real independence, real democracy? Right. So, uh, as I've said earlier, KMP was instrumental in both uh, the um, establishment of La Via Campesina and also uh, in 2003, the People's Coalition on Food Sovereignty. So food sovereignty is uh, really a concept that is uh, that really captures the need for land reform and land redistribution to be at the middle of the conversation on the right to food and the conversation on um, you know uh, addressing inequality. Uh, addressing national independence. So food sovereignty entails both land reform and um, pro-people and rural-led um, rural development. So that means it is uh, uh, anti-imperialist plunder. So we reject all forms of um, uh, plunder from the you know imperialist countries like the U.S., uh, EU, Japan, and uh, to and including the transnational companies, including the other ways that they coerce it through their international finance financial institutions uh, like IMF, World Bank, uh, ADB. Uh, etc. But also food sovereignty is uh, anti-feudal, meaning uh, it advocates for a, demo uh, a democratization of the ownership of land uh, 
meaning uh, breaking up the uh, vestiges of feudal landlordism anywhere it still exists. So food sovereignty is uh, a recognition of the people's right to course their um, uh, model of food production, food distribution, uh, and food consumption. So I was curious about um, whether or not this this entails a shift from the problem of land equality to uh, really focusing more on international monopoly, agribusiness, um, as you explained, Nestle, Coca-Cola, all these companies are integrated with uh, with, right. with production. Um, but from what you're right. saying, it's like, no, there's actually a focus. You want to combine all of these elements into one comprehensive approach to rural development. Right. Yes, yes, uh, that's true. Because um, even the KMP, they recognize that uh, the breakup of the feudal um, monopoly in land does not entail national democracy. So it does not it, it, is that not it does not um, assure of uh, rural development and pros, uh, prosperity that you know uh, that the farmers yearn and demand for. So. That's why we always say it's genuine agrarian reform because, you know, it should be a free and genuinely redistributive land reform uh, that, that would include all large land holdings and plantations that these um, TNCs own, these agro-corporations own, and, you know, not just like CARP, which targeted basically public lands, lands that's owned by the government to be distributed for free to the landless farmers and those who don't have enough land to deal. So this requires a huge political will and even reforms, which, you know, is really challenging in a landlord-dominated Congress, in a government which still takes its cue from Washington. Uh, so... That, that's the huge barrier from that. But genuine agrarian reform also means supporting a pro-people rural development, which prioritizes domestic food production. You know, not just hand out the lands to the farmers, but, you know, this has to come into the, a strategic framework of how we can achieve really this independence, you know, uh, economic, uh, political, and cultural independence. So uh, rural development that prioritizes domestic food production, you know, that's, the, that's a huge basis for independence, especially, you know, in a TNC-dominated global food system. Uh, ha- having the capacity to produce your own food is the baseline, baseline of democracy. Uh, and, you know, increasing productivity on the basis of peasant cooperation and introduction of um, appropriate technology. You know, cottage industries springing out of and in service to agriculture should be supported and boosted to increase rural income and prosperity. And this also entails, you know, uh, breaking away from the current model of um, export-oriented farming 
breaking away from the model of uh, dependence on inputs from seeds to fertilizers and to tractors from other countries and really having the capacity to produce this on your own and on a terms that is, you know, uh, uh, just, equitable, and sustainable. So, uh, on the level of policy advocacy, you know, KMP has advocated for the passage of gender and gun reform bill since 2003 that contains this, you know, uh, basic tenets. On, uh, so for the People's Coalition on Food Sovereignty, you know, uh, this basic tenets of people's rights or the right uh, from the Algiers Declaration of having the uh, you know, ownership of your and control of your own food system is at the heart of food sovereignty. But to have an ownership and control not of your national elite, but the ownership and control of the people of this uh, uh, of this food system, so that's why we call it people's food sovereignty, not just food sovereignty, because you know there's also the national elite, the landlords, and the you know compradors. So that doesn't mean that you are chartering your own territory, uh, charting your own food system, that. Oh, we chose this to be export-oriented and something, something that you are practicing food sovereignty, because you know, uh, as we have seen, that is basically robbing your um, farmers, your rural people, and your people of the right to be free from influence and control of other. Um, uh, imperialist countries. So for us, it's not you know there's no shift. There's not a shift in you know from facing landlords and this agrarian problems to you know facing multinational companies. Because for KMP and also for PCFS, uh, these are interrelated and interconnected problems. You know, without the social base of large monopoly of land. Multinational companies cannot uh, cannot impose uh, this um, model of, of uh, imperialist plunder onto countries like the Philippines, because uh, land monopoly is the social base of imperialist plunder. So there's no shift, but rather for me, for I'm now focusing on this other, you know. Uh, on this aspect more, but it's it's part of you know for food sovereignty. It's a, a whole uh, uh, strategic approach to you know uh, national independence, democracy, and of course sovereignty. What you just said is really uh, important, and I, I think there's two things at least. Um, there's many things that you've said, but there's two things that stand out for me for now. Uh, one is to say, look, it's not enough simply to divide the lands, because if you do that without looking at the overall system in which the, the land is being divided, then um, that in and of itself won't necessarily lead to economic development. 
one thing it can in fact lead to uh, is even if you divide the lands uh, within the existing system where you're so dependent on exports and imports is that uh, some will prosper while for, will become as you were then able to buy out the other uh, the poorer people. And then the other thing that you've pointed out is how simply uh, talking about nationalism or national economy is insufficient because a national economy can also be dominated by the elites, by the national elites. Uh, that in fact, what you need is to break up uh, their power as well and, and make it uh, something that's driven by people, by the people on the ground, the workers and the poor peasants and the uh, middle peasants. And uh, sure, we can even have some of the rich uh, farmers on our side. Is that the kind of guiding uh, principle? So I'm, I'm really interested in this question of the rich peasants and the rich farmers. How does that, uh, you know, because these rich farmers, the rich peasants can often be exploitative toward the poorer peasants and, and poorer farmers. So how, how do you square that, uh, that question? Right. So because KMP, uh, uh, because KMP is, you know, a uh, movement basically led by landless farmers. So we, we have this uh, rule of thumb that when we start organizing, we prioritize the landless, the poorest of the poor in the communities so that they will uh, lead the movement. So when we start organizing, we don't necessarily include rich peasants in organizations when it's starting out. So we can build the you know confidence and leadership of the um, landless and uh, small farmers. Uh, but when organizations, uh, so that the direction is clear, because in many of our uh, um, many of our experience in the past is when you let some of the rich peasants in early on. Uh, without building the, you know, um, strength and um, uh, confidence of the landless, they usually dominate the organization, and it really um, douses on or you know uh, dampens the fervor for land because you know many of them have more land than they can tell dampen the uh, uh, movement for, you know, uh, increasing the wage of farm workers because many of them pay farm workers to help them build their lands. So we are very conscious in the stratification of the farmers in our communities. That's why uh, before, during, and after, in the whole process of organizing, we constantly reevaluate the social status, social positions, and you know, uh, class basis of our uh, leaders, our organizations, so that uh, uh, we ensure that the interest of the poorest of the poor, the interest of the landless farmers, will be at the top of the agenda of every chapter of KMP of every program that KMP creates. And uh, I mean, that's also some of the things that's, uh, uh, that's also a strategy that we also see in some 
uh, peasant organizations that can be stood with uh, in the past, like you know, MST from Brazil, uh, Agricoles from uh, I think it's Argentina, uh, that uh, to really rely and unleash the collective power of the landless farmers to lead the advance of the peasant movement. That's an invaluable uh, lesson that we have you know, paid for a longest uh, for the longest time in the Philippines. Because you know, you will know when uh, uh, the landless are at the helm of a peasant movement because its fervor and direction is always directed at the at the right, um, you know, uh, enemies, enemies like landlords and MNCs, and not, you know, uh, to be dampened by small, you know, CSRs, small, you know, um, uh, uh, changes uh, in their position. I think it's uh, it's really. Uh very, very inspiring how you're linking these very small things about who at the village level is in charge of a movement. And uh, that, what seems like a very localized issue is actually linked to these larger issues of multinational corporations, their corporate social responsibility, as you just pointed out, which can buy off some sections of the of the village. But those people who remain excluded are really the ones who need to be organized. Um, and that is also a, a global thing, as you said, MST, the Movement for Landless Workers in Brazil. Um, and uh, even in Pakistan, some of our friends in Pakistan, Kisan Mazur, PKMT, I think are trying to adopt a similar approach. Um, so in this, uh, with, with respect to this kind of bigger um, global issue, I think right now because of COVID-19, we've forgotten a little bit. I, at least I've forgotten about climate change. But before COVID-19, climate change was maybe the most important issue facing, um, you know, uh, humans and, and, and people in general, uh, and especially the working classes and the peasantry. So some people in the West are calling for uh, degrowth. That is, we need to, to reverse growth uh, and agroecology. Um, and I want to understand what is, what is the KMP and, and PCFS's approach to the question of degrowth or growth and the question of agroecology and climate change in general? Hmm. Yeah, of course, uh, there, cannot, there cannot be one question of degrowth because you, can, you don't have one definition of growth. Because uh, is it growth for whom? For many farmers in the Philippines, and in many farmers in many of the countries that we have been to and the partners of PCFS, uh, growth is not the thing that has happened to them since you know the 1900s, 1960s, especially with landlessness still at the root of poverty. Growth hasn't happened. Maybe the you know the additional incomes has uh, has uh, differentiated or has um, changed like in the past they would make you know cans for landlords to 
have additional income or do fishing to, to have additional income. But now they would do tourism, etc., etc., to have additional income. But it's exactly the same, uh, but ha- but bearing different faces. Is that growth? No, it is not. So for us, the concept of degrowth is uh, a really peculiar question because what are you going to degrowth in farmers' livelihood? Because you cannot talk about um, economics, global economics, without you know, talking about the class inequalities and growth for one segment of uh, the population is not growth for another segment of the population. For example, in the Philippines, our GDP for the past 10 or so years has been growing 7%, 6% on average. Uh, but the farmer's livelihood has been you know, deteriorating for the past 10 years too. You know, rice farmers are some of the well-off kind of farmers a decade ago in the Philippines. But, you know, they're now the poorest of the poor in terms of, you know, uh, um, produce type farmer uh, segmentation in the Philippines. So, growth isn't, uh, degrowth it shouldn't be you know, I, I don't exactly see um, how degrowth would be uh, productive if it doesn't um, capture that growth hasn't been growth for everyone. And, you know, a handful of people are capturing the rich that is being produced by the world. When it, uh, in terms of agroecology, uh, agroecology is, you know, a, a new development. It has been sustainable agriculture in the past, which, you know, like corporations like Nestle has hijacked. And, you know, we're doing sustainable agriculture in our, um, you know, lands where we run the farmers like slaves, but hey, we're using organic, whatever. And then uh, then we have biodiversity-based agriculture, um, where, you know, uh, which has uh, put climate change onto the fold. You know, of course, in PCFS, we, and in KMP also, we believe that climate change is a real and imminent issue that should be tackled. But, you know, the impact of climate change doesn't affect everyone in the same way. And the rural poor and the rural communities are the most at risk. You know, in the Philippines, we experience, what, 20 storms in a year. And, you know, it's... Yeah, 20 storms in a year. And we... uh, The farmers and the... It's like what the shooter said. It's an apartheid of, you know big houses, the rich can really survive a huge part of this climate change era. But the poor doesn't have you know, any resources, any safety net to survive any uh, huge impact of climate change. 
So agroecology as a concept, you know, integrating climate change into uh, um, uh, the movement of peasant is, in a way, a huge uh, jump from sustainable agriculture, which is really vague and was really hijacked easily by large corporations. But, you know, even agroecology itself has its um, limits if it isn't uh, paired up with, you know, uh, food sovereignty, especially land reform. Because you can't have, you can't have an, uh, because many organizations under BCFS, even the organizations uh, that can be works with are uh, advocating agroecology, even BCFS uh, advocates agroecology, but uh, we never um, divorce it from land reform. Because without land reform, you can't really have agroecology. Just ask any of the farmers uh, practicing agroecology that you start from land ownership or land control before you practice agroecology. Without land, you cannot practice agroecology. So land is a requisite and a central issue on agroecology for us. Many of these, uh, these uh, approaches, like agroecology or agriculture, as you said, they, they have really important components to them. But when they get separated from the question of inequality, then they can just become these kinds of middle class um, uh, desire for a simpler life. Like, oh, I, I live, I have so much work to do, and I wish I could just go to the countryside and grow myself some organic food. And that's nice, right. but that doesn't address the reality that the majority of people are facing. Uh, and for that, you need right. a kind of a struggle. You need a social struggle. Right. You know, like, for example, right now in Europe, they were thinking that, oh, we're the pioneers in, you know, agroecological farming and uh, et cetera, et cetera, which is good and all that you are, uh, uh, that we are all striving to, you know, contribute to being climate, uh, to being carbon neutral. But, as we have seen, many of those uh, um, victories in you know being carbon neutral are at the expense of farmers from you know Ukraine, uh, migrant at uh, at the expense of uh, migrant workers from other uh, European countries, poorer European countries. So even this you know conversations on climate change, climate crisis. Green Deal in this really northern countries like Europe and America, uh, China and Japan should really put into also the cost of um, imperialist plunder, basically, because now you're eating organic food at the expense of exploiting you know, uh, exploiting countries like us. We are making you, releasing you of your guilt by, you know, planting, uh, planting this carbon neutral food for you. But at what expense? At, uh, 
exploitative, really, really exploitative relations. Okay, so speaking speaking of uh, ending exploitation and, and social struggle, um, I think in the Philippines, as you described, uh, even when you, you, you try to do peaceful struggle, uh, you'll have three military detachments show up to a small village, you'll have landlords who exercise violence, you, you constantly, you know, violence has been this ongoing theme in what you've been discussing. And the Philippines uh, has organized um, counter, I guess you can call it counter violence from from uh, historically marginalized and so, uh, socially oppressed groups. Um, and there are insurgencies in the Philippines. One is led by the Communist Party of Philippines and the New People's Army. Uh, there's even movements like in, on the island of Mindanao, there's the Moro Islamic Liberation Front. So uh, I'm wondering what, how is this like KMP related to the Party and the NPA, the New People's Army, or how do you how, how are they related to organizations like Moro Islamic Liberation Front, uh, or how do you even approach these questions? Right. So, um, you know, uh, CPP NPA has um, has always lent its um, its voice to you know the Philippine peasantry. It has always said that um, it's a peasant army because it it actually is because uh, as we have seen in their uh, recent negotiations and in their past negotiations that uh, the CPP and PA is hell bent on um, uh, tackling the root causes of poverty in the Philippines which uh, at the core is mainly landlessness. That's why in the Comprehensive Agreement on Social Economic Reform, land is uh, such a cent- such a central um, non-negotiable for uh, the CPP and PA, uh, which is uh, which many of the you know farmers in the Philippines really revere in them. And they have been instrumental in um, in some and many of the um, uh, so uh, retribution of some of the social movements in the Philippines, like for example, in uh, the fight against mining and logging. In the Philippines, the farmers who have been displaced have always found, you know, um, uh, has always found an ally in them against this um, uh, mining companies and logging companies uh, up to the extent that uh, uh, they have really done punitive actions against some of these companies that are destroying, you know, the forests and the mountain ranges in the Philippines. But um, the Philippines has been, you know, uh, one of the poster child also of Cold War politics in the um, 1960s, 50s to 19. 70s that being called a communist is actually um, 
you know, tantamount to being a rebel or uh, uh, having an uh, uh, or being, you know, a fighter of the New People's Army. So that has really been a real danger for many of the activists in the Philippines. We call that red tagging. So what they do is they associate legitimate and legal organizations like KMP and others to, you know, CPP and PA and, um, you know, attribute the killing of the farmers as, you know, uh, part of their counterinsurgency program, which is really, really convenient because, you know, uh, to protect these plantations that KMP is against, to protect these mining corporations that KMP is against, to protect these um, landlords that KMP is against, uh, they can use it as a you know, convenient excuse to kill the mass leaders of KMP, kill the farmers, and really pin it on the NPA or call them NPA uh, combatants. So uh, that um, that relationship between you know being tagged as a New People's Army rebel of the KMP, some uh, wear it as a badge of honor, being tagged as one because you know uh, they are really revered by farmers and they have done tremendous amount of work in their in some of their areas. Uh, so, but for others, of course, it's a matter of, you know, um, uh, fighting these allegations, be it in courts, be it in, um, inside, uh, prison cells, etc. So, the New People's Army's, um, program, uh, and the CPP's program, uh, really uh, aims to, you know, uh, also aims to have a genuinely redistributive um, land reform that uh, encompasses all the landless farmers, which is one of the things uh, they always, you know, that's the gotcha moment against KMP, that, oh, you fight for the same thing. But really, you know, uh, the CPP NPA has its own um, strategy, and they have the they have the capacity to uh, really implement rural uh, change in their areas. So uh, it's uh, it's. Uh, really inspirational for some farmers what they do in their base areas. On the other hand, you know, um, Moro Islamic Liberation Front is... Uh, we also have... Uh, no, KMP also has members in areas of MLF. Uh, and uh, it isn't you know, it never really became a problem because uh, whether Muslim or whether Christian, land problem is land problem. So uh, 
it isn't uh, it isn't mutually exclusive. So, Mora Islamic Liberation Front has begun entering this peace process with the government, and they have um, concluded this Bangsamoro um, agreement, which uh, is now underway to have this, you know, uh, territory that they will be they and the local government before Bangsamoro would you know, in partnership would, you know, share economically, militarily, politically uh, in, uh, in, you know, in control and um, direction. So, uh, the MLF uh, has, you know, um, since entering this process, there have been um, small skirmishes against them, uh, and also there be, there had been breakaway groups uh, that don't want the, the contempt of this new deal with the government. <clears throat> uh, so you know, it's been really a source. Uh, th- that has been really a source of conflict in Maximoro areas. Um, I think what you're describing in terms of both CPPNPA and uh, MILF, uh, more Islamic Liberation Front, uh, to me it points to these these deep structural problems that you've already outlined in the Philippines. Uh, basically, they revolve around land, around agrarian crisis, and in some areas, like in Mindanao, they also overlap with um, ethnic and religious issues of social discrimination, social marginalization, um, which which requires a uh, a complex approach. Um, but I, I'd like to wrap up uh, with you by asking you, uh, you know, maybe returning a little bit to your own experience. You've you've explained that just being part of KMP can get you tagged as a red. Uh, that it can it can be a very uh, threatening uh, reality. Um, that said, you know, as you describe your own uh, experience, you started out as an as a university student. You went on a research project, and there you got uh, integrated with the KMP. In Pakistan, many students, middle class students, or even upper class students, uh, they have patriotic politics. They sympathize with the poor, uh, with workers. Uh, they can understand, you know, sometimes in abstract ways, sometimes in concrete ways, what is capitalism, what is feudalism, or at least semi-feudalism. But they're very unclear about what they themselves can do to change it. Uh, you know, and so often the, the default is kind of charity. We just need to give money to the poor through these uh, right. seems more or less honest organizations of charity. Um, but, you know, from, from what you're saying, I don't think you started out from a peasant family or that you started out as a peasant. You can correct me if I'm wrong. So how do you tap into your own experience and what would you say to these kinds of students? Like what kind of roles do middle or even upper class, uh, upper middle class people have in doing pro people, pro poor organizing that can really significantly um, impact uh, political economy? All right. So, uh, 
that's a really good um, you know uh, way to end this because um, because you know um, as you have said I, I did not come from a peasant background but uh, fortunately you know uh, in the Philippines we have a strong movement of farmers that you know as an activist in the um, university uh, our organizations uh, are also part of the national democratic movement and they constantly and student organizations in the Philippines especially those under national democratic movement uh, really you know, understand that there cannot be change without linking arms with the farmers and the workers. So many of the work that we do is, you know, even inside the university is to um, have integration programs with, you know, farmers, uh, picket lines. KMP has numerous programs that they bring farmers to, you know, teach in the university of their experiences and to uh, tell the students and the activists some of their programs and some of their campaigns and uh, really, you know, imbue to the students the kind of solidarity that uh, that is needed to move forward in, you know, addressing capitalism, feudalism, and some of these problems that maybe students are struggling to, you know, um, understand or grasp fully. So uh, for me and for other students like me, that's like uh, that's you know a wake up call in learning from the farmers of what they know, what they understand. Because you know you can really read up about exploitation. You can you know read up about case studies, but you won't really understand or, or grasp it fully. Or you know. Um, uh, 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 have a fuller meaning to it without um, hearing it and understanding it in the lives of these uh, farmers and workers that experience it on daily. So uh, it, fortunately, we have a national democratic movement that has long laid out its analysis of Philippine um, of the Philippine economy and politics, and you know have a clear vision of the macroeconomic model of the political model that uh, we want. Uh, so that aligns with the. Uh, role of KMP as the major force of change and the student organizations, student movements uh, constantly, you know, even if we fight for, you know, lowering of tuition fees, of um, junking of miscellaneous fees or other things, we, all, uh, we always have a part in our program to, you know, integrate with farmers and really make the students understand uh, how we envision this national democracy and how farmers are building national democracy from the ground up in their villages. So that's the main lesson that, you know, that's the main lesson that middle class and upper middle class 
have to understand in order to enact change you know uh, you have to link arms with the most marginalized the most uh, poor and the most under um, underprivileged um, sectors or classes in society and that is not to say that the middle class are not organizing themselves in the Philippines we have you know unions of doctors unions of nurses unions of even freelancers unions of um, call center agents we have unions of students so you know but at the end of the day the 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 role of this middle class and upper middle class is to lend their voices, amplify the voices of the marginalized, and to really link arms with the workers and peasants without whom change is impossible. I mean, meaningful change is impossible.